0: Good morning, guys. This is Uche, Sneaker Principal. And uh, welcome to another episode of the Sneaker Principal Podcast. So um, this is going to be a very short episode. Um, I have a question that I've been trying to make sense of. Not even, not even really trying to make sense of, but trying to um, figure, figure out an answer to. Um, since um, COVID-19 and the pandemic it's very clear that as educators, we've been exposed. And not, not because we were hiding anything, it's the thing that wasn't necessarily seen that was exposed. But also at the same time, I have to say that in many cases, um, it's shown the resilience of educators being able to adapt to a new space. And this is the whole notion of moving from the traditional large school model uh, whether you're you are a small school in a larger building or you're just a large school whatever the model is wherever you are in the country but now being in a space where um, remote learning blended learning some kind of hybrid learning um, platform or or a model is being utilized in your in your space um, I heard um, like in Italy um, as of right now as the um, the virus is spiking there that for secondary school students um, they're only allowed to be in the school space um, 25% of the time. So 75% of their learning is happening virtually, remotely, online. So this is the space we are in right now. And the reality is, yes, there are there are um, disadvantages, in some cases, some advantages. But at the end of the day, um, it's shifting the way we think about education, um, and specifically in secondary schools. Um And um, the thing, the question that's been popping up in my mind has stemmed from something that I heard happening almost immediately after schools were shut down in New York City. Uh, Or they weren't shut down, we moved into remote learning. So, but physical being physically present in the building was pretty much shut down um, all the way um, through the spring and resumed in the fall. Um, Is this whole notion that in many more affluent communities, or even not even necessarily affluent, but middle-class people who, who are of certain level of means were creating these learning pods. And I was like, what's a learning pod? And it was one of my teachers who brought it to my attention because she was, she was asking, can we do something like this? And, um, and I was completely baffled. I was like, what is a learning pod? And, and um, to my understanding, what was happening is certain families and teachers were creating these small spaces so that students could still come together, um, still be able to practice social distancing, but be in front of a teacher. So these pods were typically no more more than 10 students. They were being done in churches and they were doing rec centers. Certain businesses that were closed down were offering their spaces in people's homes. And um, these were happening all through at least the community that that I work in. Um, And, and then I was hearing this was happening not just in New York City, but across the country, all these learning pods. And I was like, this is very interesting. And I have to say, I was like, this is admirable because this is what families, parents, we should be doing. We should be taking ownership of our children's learning, um, regardless of whether or not they attend public school or whatever the case is. I mean, there's data to show that students are, very, students are more successful when their learning in school is being enriched by some other kind of learning activity. If you're just depending on schools to be hundred percent responsible for the learning of your child, then um, you're allowing for there to be a gap of some sort and um, so this was this so this is something that I was like, wow, this is really really powerful and then as I explored more because I was super curious, I started hearing about hearing about um uh, micro schools and i I've, I've heard the term before, but I never really paid attention to it and then I started to realize these micro schools were pretty much these learning pods and these learning pods were really micro schools depending on how far you wanted to take things. And what's happened is in many spaces in the country presently, a lot of these learning pods, they were like, let's say one teacher who was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm going to um, take a great grade band of students. So maybe um first, second and third, you know, like, I'm sorry like kindergarten first and first and second together, maybe third, fourth and fifth together. Um, sixth, seventh and eighth. These learning beds; they're about three years apart. I'm going to get these kids together because they're still within the same um, zone, of pro- the, the approximate zone of learning and understanding, and then um, really get them to um, uh, to work together and learn. And the teacher now functions as a guide in that space. But you're still covering the same curriculum. You're still you're still doing the exact same things you would have done anywhere else. The only difference is you're doing it in a much smaller space. So yes. Social distancing and all those uh, uh, and issues we're, we're facing right in society has played a major part in that. But at the same time, we're going back to a space that that we've always f- like fought for smaller classrooms, more more customized um, teaching and providing students with a space to to um, be able to flourish. Because let's be honest here, when you have 15, 20, 25 kids in a classroom, it is a major struggle for kids to, to to pay attention To really engage Some kids are fine with that But majority of kids struggle Especially when you're in a classroom where you have a teacher Even if you have a teacher's aide Or maybe it can be three doors in that classroom When you have 25 kids Guaranteed you have 25 levels of learners 25 abilities 25 interests 25 emotional states So it's very hard to be able to support all children In that space So and 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 I and I've, I know this as a, as as a classroom teacher myself as a special needs teacher, that customization is very very important. And I'll tell you this: in my career as a teacher, my students that I had in my small setting, special needs classrooms, I felt grew and did better than my general ed students who were who were in a traditional classroom setting where there might be twenty five to thirty kids in the classroom versus my typically seven to 12 kids in my self-contained special ed classroom. And um, and I wonder why, you know, because one thing I would say about learning, you, you know, um, having a learning disability does not stop you from learning. And I am a testament to that. In the third grade, I was placed in special, edu- in special education. Um, I had uh, occupational therapy. I had speech therapy. Uh, and some of you who, who've heard my um, podcast, you can st- tell I have a little bit of a stutter, but as a child, I was literally inaudible. <laughs> like it was like, it was like crazy, but I had these, these issues, you know, in my ability to perform academically that were addressed with really strong teachers. And um, some traditionally, some non-traditionally, but they were they were addressed in those spaces, and I and I flourished. You know, I went on to high school and moved my and I, when I got to high school, I was now gifted and talented, and I went on to college. I have two master's degrees, and I am a high school principal. But a lot of that had happened for me because I found myself in these spaces that were much smaller, you know, and and where I was able to like look in my teacher's eyes and you know I had their full attention in supporting my growth. So these micro schools, these learning pods are mimicking that. Okay. So you, I know you're going right to, you're thinking to yourself like, wow, that's amazing. Like I want to know more. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you go on, if you go on YouTube, you go on, uh, on the internet, just type in micro schools or learning pods. It's like the biggest um, hidden secret. Like it's out there. but It's like a secret. And the reason I say it's like a secret is this, um, Actually, no, before I do that, let me, I just want to play uh, a very brief, it's about uh, two minutes long um, news report. I probably don't want to play the whole thing that it kind of represents what I'm talking about here, like the efficacy of of these spaces. Then I'm going to go into the next section of, of what I'm thinking or my concern is around this. Okay, so um, give me a second here and let me switch over to my iPad. And uh, here we go.
1: Palestina UNCERTAINTY OVER WHETHER STUDENTS WILL RETURN TO CLASSROOMS THIS calendar YEAR HAS WORKING PARENTS WORRIED NOW ABOUT THE FUTURE. YOU MIGHT BE SITTING AT HOME THINKING ABOUT THIS RIGHT NOW, BUT ONE OPTION COULD, IN FACT, BE MICRO SCHOOLS. CBS 11'S J.D. MILES INTRODUCES US TO ONE OF THOSE IN DALLAS. ONE, NINE TIMES, ONE, NINE. TINY CLASS SIZES WERE JUST ONE OF THE INCENTIVES THAT ENCOURAGED KATIE GASPAR TO ENROLL HER FOUR KIDS AT ST. TIMOTHY where the total enrollment for the K through 12 school is only 53 students. And it's just a very nurturing, beautiful environment.
0: So I was really happy when we found it. Um, It just felt really comfortable and at home.
1: The Dallas mom didn't know that the shutdown of public schools from COVID-19 would make micro schools like St. Timothy in Uptown even more appealing. Because of its small size, the academy has already announced plans to welcome back students in the fall. That sounds great. I would, I would love that. So it makes me really happy that I feel, I feel like they're safe. I feel, I feel good about that. We don't see any legal or practical problem why we shouldn't and can't do it safely. School administrators say they have a plan to keep students and teachers separated, and have far fewer concerns than larger schools. They have to worry about busing, cafeterias. Uh, thousands of people traveling hallways, and these are issues that they're just not a problem for us to overcome. The cost of tuition to a private micro school like St. Timothy starts at about $7,000 a year. But if public schools remain closed, the cost of daily childcare on working parents could end up being more expensive. Four times five. It's an affordable option and offers five. peace of mind to some parents five. who already know where their children will be. When classes resume in just a few months, in Dallas, JD Miles. CB-
0: so, um, so, um, so th- there's so many stories like this all over the internet, and if you talk to any educator anywhere, anyone in the country, I'm pretty sure you're gonna find somebody who knows someone who knows someone who is in this exploring this micro school learning pod space. So this example that this in this news report is a school that has embraced the micro school model. Like, you know, like, I think they said the school is 53 students. And typically a micro school has less than, it's like less than 150, but can be as small as 10, like, let's say about 10. A lot of them tend to be super small and not even in a traditional school building. The majority of them are, happening in non-traditional spaces in people's homes you have cooperatives where you might have a a couple of parents who might come together and say we're going to pull our funds together to hire a teacher for our student you know and don't remember don't forget this in um, elementary schools typically you might have one teacher who's a general a uh, a general um my brain's not working this morning a general content teacher so they will be teaching math science social studies and various subjects i remember being in elementary school i think the only teacher that i ever had um in some of my in most of my elementary school um classes that was not my my, my main teacher was usually the pe teacher or the music art teacher in some cases my, my, my main teacher was my pe teacher and my art teacher so um um so you're talking about being able to get one person or two people or three people pull funds and be able to now pay them to support this child. Or even in a lot of cases, the parents themselves are saying amongst ourselves, who's able to do what? And then they kind of sp- split the, 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 their, their knowledge base and the resources around um, cooperatively teaching these students. And the reality is in a lot of States, the, the um, the threshold or the the barrier to forming a micro school or smallering space like this is is very very little, you know, because because um, um, you have two options: you have the traditional public school model, or you have a private. Actually, no, we have multiple options. You have the traditional. Public school slash charter school model, or you have the private school model that is a non-public school which still adheres to state standards, or you have an independent school that's hundred percent run by you, by the parent or the, that community. Okay. Again, so I'm gonna get to, to my biggest question. Or oh, my biggest concern. So I'm watching these videos and I'm watching them and I'm I'm like I'm wild, like whoa, what's going on here? And someone might say, you're a principal in a public school. How dare you like, you know, support this, this, this notion? Yes, I am a principal. I am an educator, but I also I'm, I'm a child. I was a child who, uh, better I'm a learner who started off in a private school in Saudi Arabia, who went to a public school in South Central LA, then went to a private school in Nigeria. They went to a boarding military school in Nigeria, then came to, back to America, went to a, to a, to a, um. To a community school in in Los Angeles, then I went to a high school in Los Angeles, public school or both public schools. So I've had this the ability to see these different spaces, and not just see it from ego from an ego point of view, looking down at it. No, I was literally in it as a student, so I know how I learned, and I, I have the understandings of what worked for me and what we pushed me. And as a school leader, I've applied those philosophies and those ideas into my practice as a leader, you know, and, um, and because the textbooks are one thing, but the reality is that in the day you have to literally get eye level with your students and figure out like what is going to really support them. And so I'm always open to the, to the various ideas that exist around how to best educate students and specifically black and brown students. Okay, African American, African students of, of, of African descent who are in America, and Latino Hispanic students. These two groups of students are have been primary focus of my career. Okay. The majority the vast majority, 90% of the students I've ever worked with in my career as an educator have, have been black and brown students. And the the, the statistics and the data is out there shows that the efficacy of education has not boded well for this population of students. It just hasn't. So yes, I've had students who were black and brown who did amazingly well, who've gone to Ivy League schools, who are now pharmacists and lawyers and teachers and things of like that nature. But the vast majority majority of them have literally just flowed into the workforce and are either unemployed or underemployed. And that hurts. It hurts my core. Because my thing is, um if you get if we're educating children and they're going into the world and they're struggling. Because, and then, but then we told them as they were students, like, let's say, if you work hard, if you do these things, you'll be successful in the real world. And they go out there and they're not. And in a lot of kids, not by any fault of their own. They're in a planet of what, seven plus, seven plus billion people. You know, there's not enough resources for everyone. That's why um, education is very important, but making sure that we're giving students and our children the, the, the tools that they need to conquer in the real world Is very important And um, so so. As I'm researching this Of course I want to type in Okay, inner city Microschools and And I'm um, learning pods Black microschools and learning pods Latino microschools and learning pods And I'm searching for th- Where these things exist within the black and brown community Within urban centers You know and so far, I haven't found any. And, I'm, and listen, if you listen to this podcast and you're like, no, bro, there's one over here. There's, there's another one over here. There's a, many of them. Please guide, put, put me in that direction because me, myself, I have not found any. I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube and I've watched a lot of news reports and I've seen black and brown children dotted in these these schools but the vast majority of them are white children. And, um, and I asked myself like, Okay, but why? Because if there is if there's very little, um, um very little blocking one from starting something like this, very, little, very there are very little hindrances from from starting a micro school. How come they're not being? How come they're not happening all over our communities? Because one thing I want to say is this: I felt a belief that that um. There isn't brilliance, intellectual, academic brilliance within our community. I felt that's that's absolutely not true, absolutely not true, because I know many, many, many highly intelligent, highly academic Black and Brown people. I also know a lot of them who are not employed or underemployed. And my question is, you know, and I I would even go one one step further, because I'm a believer. If you if you've if 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 you commit if you commit a crime and you have to pay your time you do your time and and as long as the law says you're good you're good to go and you're free again that you should be a member of the community and you should be a functioning member of the community you know it, it you know paying your penance doesn't just happen while you're in prison or whatever um, punishment you have to face but when you come back out you should be embraced back into the community as long as that what that you fulfilled your, your requirements and you're free to go and you're free to move about as 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 the law permits, and it's funny. I say this, but I was thinking to myself: all the young men who and women who were incarcerated for for having legal businesses, drugs, whoever it may be, you know, who paid their time and went to went to prison, got an education, got degrees, and come out and they can't find jobs. My thing is: why don't we put the right people? into these spaces of being teachers and mentors for our children right now. So they have the skills that they need to be successful in the real world. Why don't we create these smaller spaces? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, the typical urban classroom is overcrowded. It's super overcrowded. I've worked in schools where as a teacher, I walked in and I was like, are there 40 kids in this room? 40, what's going on here? And literally there was no other option but for my contract to be violated as a teacher and I was going to fight it because I was going to be like, listen, you need me to support these 40 kids. I'm going to do my best for these 40 kids because if not me, who else? So that was my mentality. So you have these spaces with this many students and I'm thinking to myself, wow, what would have happened if some of that, some of that pressure could have been alleviated by having micro schools, by having, um, spaces for the kids who struggle in traditional spaces to be able to go and learn. You know, and somebody might say, well, if they're not learning in the building, they're not going to learn in anywhere else. But what's interesting is this, since we've been in this remote space, I have students um, that, that I see and I've been observing in various classes who are doing more work now remotely than they did when they were in, present in the classroom. And I'm still trying to figure out what, what's the difference there. You know, and yeah, there's there's quite a few students who are struggling. Like this transition has been really difficult for. You know, and I'm like, okay, we need we need we need to get a vaccine or, or, or whatever the situation is to get ourselves back to normal and back into that space where our kids can be back in the building. So those kids are not lost. But then those kids who are successful in this remote space or these smaller spaces, what are we doing for them? Are we gonna force them back into this in, in into into these large classroom spaces and these in these in these buildings where they don't feel comfortable and they're, they're not their needs not being addressed. So it's it's just interesting and just me just thinking thinking out loud here. I know I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I'm just wondering like why aren't the, why aren't there more learning lear, learning pods? Why aren't there micro schools in our community, especially right now during the pandemic? Especially right now that we're seeing that you know a lot of parents are are, are working are are um, keeping their kids at home, and um, and a lot of them also complain that their kids are not doing well. So, but then I'm thinking, okay, you know, why, why why isn't Miss Johnson and and uh, Miss uh, Mr Steele and uh, Miss Miss Mr Njoku, you know, Mr Yomede over here saying, listen, let's bring our kids together and let's. Pull our resources to educate them, you know? Or worst case scenario, maybe we're not pulling our kids out of public schools, but we're enriching what they're learning. We're looking at the curriculum and saying, okay, listen, I'm really good at math. So bring these five kids together, i work with them. I'm really good at reading and writing. Bring these five kids together, and i I'll work with them in reading and writing. I'm really good at history, or I know someone so who is a retired professor or whatever the case may be, or a retired teacher. Creating is learning positive in our community. And we have to take responsibility for what our children are learning. And I'm going to say this again, and it's, my, it's probably sacrilegious, and and um, people will not agree with me, but I truly believe, and this is my part of my my educational philosophy, that at the end of the school, at the end of I'm sorry, at the end of, at the end of the day, the school is literally the, the the second, not not the first line of attack, is the second line, but the first line of attack is parents home where the students are learning at home. Okay, then the second is what they learn at school. But then there's the third, how what they are learning at home and school is not being messed together in the real world. you know. But if the education is just strictly what the schools are learning, it's like, and if you notice I said the first home, middle school, the other side is the world, but the world is mostly home as well. It's like a sandwich. So if, if all you're getting is just school and you're just getting straight protein, Protein is great. Protein will build muscle. It will. Protein will build muscle. It will cut down on body fat and everything else. But however, if you all you eat is, all you ever eat is protein, eventually it's going to mess with your kidneys. Pushing all that protein to your body. Eventually, you're going to be nutrient deficient because you need, you know, a lot of other nutrients that don't only come from meat. You know, you need to have a balance. And the reality is, often we don't we don't have a balance. And a big part of it is the fact that the responsibility of of the community in educating our children, and what I mean by that is the home, um, parents, the general community, that has been left on the table, or has been knocked off the table. And the only option our kids have is just strictly what they learn at school. And school is necessary, a hundred percent necessary, but. Um, I heard somewhere where they said that every parent has a PhD in their child, and I thought that was powerful. They have a PhD in their child because it takes about five to six years to get to get a doctorate degree. You know, it takes it takes roughly about a year, maybe two years to get a master's degree. You know, it takes four years to get a um to get a bachelor's. You know, and the reality is if you do the math and all that, because a master's program is really rolled into a PhD. So if we're saying 10 years from bachelor's to PhD, is what it takes to to, to now be an expert at a particular topic. By the time your child is 10 years old, you are an expert in who they are. But by the time you're five years old, you're a master of who they are. You know them very well. You know their personality, you know their quirks, you know what makes them cry, you know what makes them excited. So by the time to get to start schooling, your job is to continue in that process of developing them outside of the building. Let the, let the building pour content into your brains, but let you be the one to make meaning. But it, but one thing I would say is this, the content can come from anywhere. And I think it's very powerful, especially during these times, that we're supplementing what students are learning at school in these learning pods and micro schools or wherever we, however we do it. But whatever it is we do, we need to start doing it because and when I say we, the black and brown community, because um, again, this is another space where we're falling behind in. You know, I'm hearing now that because of the pandemic, a lot of our students are now falling up to a year behind, a year behind over the course of what's happened in this past eight months. So um, again, I just wanted to make sure that, um, that I put this out there. Um, Just a thought that was in my brain and I just wanted to, Kind of spark you to think about this, and um, again, if you know of any learning pods and or uh, or micro schools that are, that are functioning, I don't care if it's is you know TT or uh, Mama teaching kids on their porch, you know, I want to know about it because I need I, because right now I'm super depressed because I'm thinking like, whoa, here's another area where we're we're not we're not doing doing we're not we're not excelling in you know we're not excelling at educating our own children. And I need I need to know that I'm wrong about that. Uh, so again, this is this is how about to say Mister and Joker? Like I'm back in, in school. This is Uche, sneaker principal, and I look forward to talk to you guys again. And um, till next time, peace. And now he's been promoted. His job principal. Let's see it.